0: Well, if you've got a copy of God's Word, can you turn back with me to Romans chapter 8? So we are studying this, the greatest chapter, which is considered by many the greatest chapter of the greatest letter in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. We're picking up where we left off two weeks ago. We've looked so far at verses 1 through 4. And if you were here for those studies, we said this. If you are in Christ, you have been set free. You are free. You are free from condemnation. According to verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. According to verse 2, you are free from the enslaving power of sin in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. And according to verse 4, you are free to live righteously in accordance with the Holy Spirit. This chapter is all about life in the Holy Spirit and in Christ Jesus. So the reason we won't face condemnation for our sins is because verse 3 says, God condemned sin in Christ for us. The reason that we've been set free from the law of sin and death is because we've been set free by the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And the reason we can now live righteously, the reason that the righteous requirements of the law are fulfilled in us is because verse 4 says, because we walk according to the Holy Spirit. Now you might not get how astounding and how amazing this is, but all the way through Romans, Paul has been saying, our great problem is none of us have kept God's law. In fact, because we've broken God's law, all humanity stand condemned before God. But the wonder of the transformation that salvation brings is when you are in Christ, you are empowered and enabled to keep the law that meant just condemnation. Because of what God has done in Christ Jesus and by his Holy Spirit, the benefits of salvation are applied to you so that you'll never face condemnation for those times where you have broken the law. It's incredible news. Now, this is part two of the sermon, Life in the Holy Spirit. And one of the realities that, I've mentioned this before, of pastoral ministry, of being a preacher of God's word, is I know I've got two jobs. It's a bit of a paradox. Here's my job. I'm called to convince those of you who are in Christ that you truly are in Christ. Because most of you who are in Christ struggle sometimes to believe that. And the reason you struggle to believe that is what Paul said in Romans chapter 7. You battle with sin. And, you, and, and, and because you battle with sin, you, you feel that your life contradicts the new life you're supposed to be living. And so my calling is to convince you who are in Christ, you're truly in Christ. And the other part of my calling is to convince those of you who are not in Christ, that you are not in Christ. Christ. So many people can be learned in a false sense of assurance that you will be safe on that last day when you won't, if you're not in Christ Jesus. In many ways, the purpose of my sermon this morning is I'm going to try and convince those of you who are not in Christ that you are not in Christ. You are a sinner in need of a Savior. And those of you who are in Christ this morning, God's word's going to convince you that you are in Christ, you are in the Spirit, and you should take great comfort and assurance from that. You are a new person; the old is gone, the new has come. Behold, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, the way Paul is going to convince both sets of, both groups of people—those in Christ and those outside of Christ—all the reality of who you are is just by describing. <laughs> just by setting up this contrast of those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. I've got three points. Mindset, state of mind or state of being, and then conduct. Paul, in verse 5, highlights the difference in mindset between someone who's in the flesh and someone who's in the Spirit. He then highlights in verse 6 the difference of, mind, of the state of mind or the state of being, and then in verses 7 and 8, he highlights a difference of conduct, those who are in the flesh, and in verses 9 through 11, those who are in the Spirit. So first of all, the fundamental difference that Paul highlights between someone who is living according to the flesh versus someone who is living according to the Spirit is what they have their minds set on. Look at verse 5 with me again. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds On the things of the flesh. Now, when Paul uses that term, the flesh, it's just theological shorthand for saying those who live according to the sinful nature, those who are not in Christ, those who've never had the Holy Spirit come into their life and regenerate them and cause them to be born again. Those who are in the flesh are those who are still, if you like, in Adam. And Paul says, those who are in the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. Which is another way to say, those who are still in Adam live according to the nature that they inherited from Adam. That is, they want to satisfy the cravings of their sinful heart. They, they live by the impulse of the sinful nature. And every single one of us in this room known this reality. Because all of us were born in Adam, and some of us still are in Adam. And, and when Paul speaks here of the mind being set upon the flesh, I need to say that, see when he speaks about the mind here, he means more than just our intellect and our rationality, he's also speaking about our affections and our will. When you are in Adam, the whole you, the real you, is set on the things of Adam. Another way to think about it is, if you're still in Adam, if you're still in the flesh... You live your life with no regard to God in a saving way, in a vital way. Your mind, your will, your affection, you live for self or you you, you keep your own laws, not God's law. You don't give God the praise that he's due. You don't do what God wants you to do. You are living dead to God. Then notice what he says in verse, the second half of verse 5. He says, The mind that is set upon the Spirit. Uh, he says, set, For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And here's the contrast. For those who are no longer in Adam, but now in Christ, now in the Spirit, there's this drastic change. Their minds, which were once set on the sinful nature, once set on themselves, have now been reset. And once they never thought about God, now those who are in the Spirit, they think about God. They worship God. They they delight to pray to God. They, they, They delight to be in the presence of God. They delight to meet the people of God. They delight to hear the Word of God. They want to be more like the Son of God. Fascinatingly, people who are in the Spirit still inhabit the same world, but they see this world in a whole new way. They look at the creation and think, there is a creator to whom I am accountable to. There is a creator who's worthy of praise because of who he is. They look at other people and once they looked to other people according to the flesh, but now they look at other people and they see them according to the spirit. Other people are fellow image bearers made with dignity, worth, and value. They possess a soul. They need a saviour. They now see Jesus according, not to the flesh, but according to the spirit. They see Jesus in the word, and they see him as the one who they want to be talking to, praising, spending time with. Once, perhaps, Jesus' name was a swear word. Now, Jesus is the sweetest name in the believer's ear. The contrast could not be greater. So... Here's Paul's description of the two different mindsets. Someone's mind who's set on the flesh, someone's mind who's set on the spirit. And suppose that begs this question, what is your mindset? What is your mindset upon? If you're here this morning and you see this world with new eyes, if you're here this morning and you see Jesus and you love Jesus, you're in the spirit. If you see people in a new way, made in the image of God, possessing a soul in need of a saviour, you're in the spirit. If you're here this morning and and, and you do not have regard for God in a saving and significant way, if if you're just living to please yourself, you're in the flesh. You're still in Adam. You need a saviour. In verse 6, Paul now goes on and he talks about the two different in terms of the state of being or the state of life. So look at verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Now, please do not misread what Paul says here. It's not just that a mind that is set on flesh results in death. That's true enough. The wages of sin is death, and those who live and die in their sin will face eternal death. That's not what Paul's talking about here, though. He's saying those who are in the flesh are in a state of death. Which is to say, yes, you might be physically alive, but spiritually speaking, you are dead. You are dead in your sins and transgressions, as Paul would say in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. Now to be spiritually speaking dead, it means that you're as responsive to God as a corpse is. You've got eyes, but you cannot see God. You've got ears, but you don't hear God. You don't have a spiritual pulse that is in step with the Spirit for Christ. I know it's a really shocking way, but you can be a person who's alive and well, good, generous, kind, loving, caring, considerate, all of it. Paul says, if you're in the flesh... Your state is death, spiritual death. Whereas for the person who is in Christ, who is in the spirit, he says their state of mind is so different. It's one of life and peace, meaning there is a spiritual pulse, meaning they they see and they see God and, 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 and it's responsive in them. It calls forth for praise in them. They want to pray to God and live in communion with God. They hear God. If you're someone who comes to church, God's word is open, God's word's been preached, and you can hear God speaking to you, whether he's comforting you, convicting you, challenging you, rebuking you, it's because you're alive. It's because God's enabled you by his spirit to have a spiritual pulse that is in step with his spirit. You have life and life in its abundance. And added to that, he says, you have peace. You have peace with God and peace with one another. There's a, an illustration that I just love from, from history. Martin Lloyd Jones shared it in his Roman series. You know, I love history, so this is why I love this illustration. Um, you know the name William Wilberforce? He was a member of the church around the corner, St. Mary Will North. John Newton was his minister. He was famous because he uh, led the campaign and the the abolition of the slave trade. One of his best friends was a man by the name of William Pitt the Younger. You know who William Pitt the Younger was? Second longest reigning prime minister of Great Britain. He reigned as prime minister at the end of the 18th century, beginning of the 19th century. He was a great prime minister he was a brilliant man in so many different ways, and he was a best friend of William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce was a true born-again Christian. William Pitt the Younger was a Christian in name, but not he didn't have a saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this used to vex Wilberforce, and he often pled with William Pitt, please would you come to church with me? Now, Even though he was a member of St. Mary Wilnoff, the, the, the best preacher of that day was a guy by the name of Richard Cecil, a dear friend of John Newton. They met in the pub right across the road and they discussed theology often. Richard Cecil was, if you like, the, the Tim Keller of the, the 19th century. Very, very gifted communicator. Very gifted in the way that he could apply the truth of God's word to your heart and soul. And William Wilberforce was so desperate that he could take William Pitt to hear Richard Cecil preach. And for ages, Pitt said, no, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it. And then finally said, okay, I'll come. And Wilberforce was delighted. And they got to the service and it was just an incredible service for Wilberforce. Like Cecil was at his best. He was opening up the word. Wilberforce felt that he was lifted himself to the heavens. Like the word was the perfect word ever for William Pitt to hear, who was the then prime minister at that very time. And the whole service, Wilberforce wondered, I wonder what is going on in his mind. He's going to become a Christian today. We well, didn't have to wait long. Because as soon as the service finished, William Pitt turned around to Wilberforce and he said, Do you know Wilberforce? I have not the slightest idea what that man's been talking about. And of course he hadn't. As a, man, as a man can be tone deaf to music, so you can be tone deaf to God, spiritually speaking. Pitt said he was bored. He couldn't follow it. He couldn't understand it. He didn't know what it was about. Now this is William Pitt. He was a man of brilliance. Intellectual stature, great culture. None of that helped because he was in the flesh. He was an Adam. He was, spiritually speaking, dead to God. And that's where Paul comes to the third point. The mind that is set on the flesh well, this way of conduct that's hostile to God; it does not submit to God. They won't submit to God's law. Indeed, they cannot submit to God's law. Verse eight: Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, again, Paul Paul's just been very matter of fact here. He's telling it; he's telling it as it is. If you are in Adam, if you're still in the flesh, if you're living according to the sinful nature, you might not think of yourself as living hostile to God from your perspective, but from God's perspective, you are hostile to him. He's the creator who made you. He's the sustainer of this universe. He's the one who sent his son, the savior of this universe, and you've rejected his son. You've ignored him. You're you're living indifferent to him. You're not living according to his commandments. You might say, well, hold on a minute. I'm a good person. I love my neighbor. Didn't Jesus say that the great commandment is love your neighbor as yourself? You might be doing the right thing in the very wrong way because Jesus said the great commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you don't love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, you can love your neighbor. And you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, because to be a Christian, to, to, to be in relationship with God, to be alive to God, you've got to love Him. And that, that's As image bearers, that's not to negate anyone who's good and who's living a fruitful and meaningful life. There are, there are many people we know and love, and many people here who perhaps aren't in Christ, and, you live a good life, but Paul here is speaking spiritually and he's speaking directly and what he's saying is you're hostile to God, you cannot submit to God's law. And that means you do not please God. Now, these verses are so stark because Paul says even if you wanted to love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, you cannot. You will not. So how do you become a Christian? How do you move from being in Adam to being in Christ? How do you move from being in a state of death to in a state of life? Well, you can't do it. Only God can do it. And maybe you're here this morning and for the first time you're discovering you are not in Christ. Maybe God is speaking to you right now and you're, okay, you're hearing this. You find it uncomfortable. You find it unpleasant. But maybe that's the point. He wants to show you who you are so that you will see your need for a Savior. And here's the amazing thing. What you cannot do, he, Jesus, is ready and willing to do. He calls you in his word to believe in him, to throw yourself upon him, to call unto him for salvation. And he delights to give new life by the spirit. He loves to cause people to be born again. And so if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you're not in Christ, this is the call that comes forth. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning and you will be saved. His spirit will come and make you you. If you are here this morning and you are a Christian, you're hearing this. You perhaps hearing this. You're thinking, okay, so so so, what about me? Well, look at verse nine to eleven. This is wonderful. He's given this description of what the person who's living in the state of the flesh and their conduct is like. This is what he says of the one who's in the spirit. And and Paul changes from talking in the second person plural to now speaking. In the first person, you, however, are not in the flesh. You who are a Christian, you are in the spirit. If in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Now, 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 I want you to see this connection. He then says, if you've got the spirit of God in you, verse 10, do you know what that also means? But if Christ is in you, if you've got the spirit of God in you, Christ is also in you. But, but notice he goes on. But if Christ is in you, well, the body is dead because of sin, the spirit of life, because of righteousness. If the spirit of him, that's God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, so if God the Father is also in you, who raised Jesus from the dead, he will also give life to your mortal bodies through the spirit who dwells in you. Here's how Paul then says, you want to know some great news about being a Christian, great news that you can take great comfort in. The triune God lives in you. That's what we've been looking at in the Upper Room Discourse in John's Gospel. Jesus said, I'm, I need to leave you so that you can receive my Holy Spirit. And when my Holy Spirit comes, you will, not be, you will not be orphans. Indeed, my Father and I will come and we will make a home in your hearts with the Spirit. The glorious reality of being in the Spirit... Being in Christ is that God comes to dwell in us. And dear Christian, if you struggle with your sin, if you feel that like your life's a contradiction because of your sin, can I tell you this? You'll be kept to the very end because God is in you. You're precious to God. He's taken up residence in you. He lives in you knowing that your body is death and this dead but because of the spirit of life, the spirit of righteousness, he has made you new. And this same spirit that lifted, raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit who daily gives you life. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, you are living alive in the spirit. And those of you who are in Christ, you need to know this. You need to believe this. God is in you. This should comfort you. This should cause you to want to just praise him and worship him and adore him. He loves you so much he lives in you because he's for you. And there's nothing that can separate you from him. You're in him. He's in you. Unbreakable inseparable. No condemnation, no separation. God is in you. You now live new life in this spirit. And you know, dear Christian, this is what we often struggle to believe. So much so that Paul would write in Corinthians, do you not know that the spirit of God dwells in you? Do you not know that your body's become a temple of the spirit of God? Because, brother, sister, you need to know God's delighted to make his dwelling place with you. And so you can know today and forevermore you are safe and secure. And he will take you all the way to the end. Glory, glory. Hallelujah. What a God we have. Let's pray.